Hello, everyone. I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of Expo 2019 Lectures Podcast is supported by Soft Engine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, Soft Engine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small to medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about Soft Engine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. Soft Engine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. World Coffee Research predicts that within the next 30 years, the demand for coffee will double, while viable land in current coffee-growing countries will diminish by half. How can we combat this? Through an engaging panel discussion, learn about the future of coffee production in emerging origins, such as Myanmar and Nepal, and the role consumers, roasters, and importers can play in building long-term, mutually beneficial relationships across culture and distance. Today's panel is moderated by Craig Holt. Hello, I'm your room host for this lecture. Um, We're going to be listening to the future of coffee, building long-distancing relationships in emerging origins. Today's moderator is Craig Holt. Craig Holt is the founder and CEO of Atlas Coffee Importers, a specialty coffee importing company focused on partnering with Origin to develop specialty coffee and connecting growers to buyers in the North American specialty market. Today's presenters are Marceline Budza, working with Rebuild Women's Hope Cooperative, cooperative uh, with women to produce specialty coffee. Al Liu, Vice President of Coffee, Collectivo Coffee Roasters. As VP of Coffee, Al Liu oversees green, green sourcing, all coffee-related operations, and new product development for Collectivo Coffee Roasters, a specialty coffee roaster retailer with 20 cafe, cafes in Milwaukee, Madison, and Chicago. He has worked in the specialty industry for over 18 years and has extensive experience in building and strengthening supply chains in Latin America, Africa, and Southeast Asia, as well as marketing and branding of both green and roasted coffee. Mario Fernandez, Technical Director, Coffee Quality Institute. As CQI's Technical Director, Mario oversees the technical services and the projects taking place in different coffee-producing countries to ensure that they have technical coherence and are adequately implemented. Susu Ong, Managing Director, Yuangin Amayar Company Limited, is from Amayar Women Coffee Producer Group in Amayar. She is working with 500 households of women coffee farmers in Yuangin. April Su Yin Nu, Senior Private Sector Liaison Advisor, Winrock International. She is part of Winrock International, U.S.-based INGO implementing USAID's funded value chain for rural development project in Myanmar that includes coffee as one of the value chains. She has also become the first woman Q Arabica grader for the country. So, in the specialty coffee trade, we tend to demand a lot more than 
Just consistency in coffee, right? We claim to value uniqueness and variety, and a lot of us talk about the importance of sustainable business. Now, if those things are really important to us, we're going to need to invest in what we're calling, for simplicity's sake today, emerging origins. In fact, most of the origins we think of as emerging have been producing Arabica coffee for a long time. Um, many of them have been overlooked by the specialty market because their production is maybe low or um, you know, they, they're not quite up to specialty standard at this time. Um, maybe their cost of production is high or they're seen as being a bit risky on the transactional side. Roasters and retailers are trying to stay profitable. They, they, a lot of times will tell me they don't see enough value in these new origins to justify the risks associated with trying to do business with them. So today we've assembled a, a pretty amazing panel to talk about why the rewards of investing in emerging origins far outweigh any potential risks. Um, before I turn things over to these fine folks um, and also to you to ask us any questions you have. I want to spend a little bit of time, just about five minutes, sort of framing the conversation with a few key reasons that I think emerging origins matter. So coffee is uh, very highly susceptible to climate change. Um, rising temperatures, increasingly erratic rainfall are already exposing trees to more pests and diseases and decreasing both the quantity and quality of the crop, according to the Climate Institute's research published in 2016. These changes are forcing Arabica production to higher and higher elevations near the equator, meaning that we have less and less viable land as coffee's kind of pushed to the summits of these peaks. Um, overall, the Climate Institute found that climate pressure could reduce the area suitable for worldwide coffee production by 50% by 2050, which is a very sobering thought. Uh, in that context, I think it kind of behooves us to support some new origins. Coffee consumption is going up. Uh, World Coffee Research predicts that within the next 30 years, the demand for coffee will double. So sooner rather than later, we might have half the amount of land available to produce coffee. We might have twice as much demand for the stuff uh, to get our fix. Um, <clears throat> and it's not just growing in the places that we've historically thought of as consuming countries. Uh, more and more coffee-producing origins like Colombia, India, and China are building demand for specialty coffee. China's a particularly interesting case. It's kind of a big country. And um, if even a tiny percent of their population starts jonesing for the good stuff, the supply-demand balance for specialty coffee could fall dramatically out of balance. Um, that means we need coffee from new origins. Um, and as a lot of you already know, the bulk of the world's coffee is produced in three countries, Brazil, Colombia, Vietnam. Um, this has been the case for a long time, but what's changing is the percentages. Um, right now, those three countries account for about 74% of the production of coffee in the world. And just a few years ago, they were at 56%. So the rate of change is pretty striking and pretty sobering when you think about what that means for these other origins. Um, and as specialty buyers, we depend on having a range of profiles, a variety of stories to tell about our coffees. So if we are going to create points of differentiation in a noisy market, we're going to want to sustain these origins that benefit our business so much. We need to invest in ensuring our own future as specialty coffee purveyors. Um, 
So what are the traditional origins? When we think about those, we're talking about Brazil, Ethiopia, Sumatra. Um, you know, a lot of times we're talking about bestsellers and coffees that the general public considers to be classic from South and Central America, East Africa, Indonesia. Um, so what are emerging origins? Well, they're not all in the same state at this point, right? Um, each presents different challenges and opportunities. So some of the examples are uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where they produce coffee for generations, but given the infrastructure challenges and consistency issues the origin has until recently, it's lost a certain amount of its uh, presence and specialty. Myanmar, which is very much an emerging origin, um, very new to the specialty market here in North America, and then there are places like Uganda where coffee's been produced historically at really high volumes, but again, didn't have you know, a strong presence in our market. So there are challenges in working with emerging origins. You're talking about, in a lot of cases, some variable, maybe even substandard processing, um, infrastructure limitations, fractured, inefficient uh, supply chains, sometimes really convoluted supply chains where a lot of people are dipping in and taking a bit of margin for sometimes dubious uh, support brought to the trade. Um, you have people who are invested in the status quo, people who are comfortable doing what they've been doing the way they've been doing it because that's what their parents and their grandparents did. Um, sometimes you don't have a shared culture or language of quality with the origin that you're trying to talk to and that you're trying to inspire uh, to produce specialty coffee. A quick story about that, um, when I first went into uh, some groups in western Uganda, uh, we were at first trying to talk to them about, you know, we want coffees which have notes of red apple and blueberry, a little floral character. And somebody came up to me at the end of one of the sessions and, and admitted that they were under the impression, a lot of them, that coffee was used to make bullets. Um, and so here I am saying, I want blueberries and flowers. And they don't even really think of it as something that they would want to drink. And so there's a, there's a huge you know, gap between what we're asking for and what their expectation is of the product, and that gap has to be bridged. Um, a big challenge for importers can be that, you know, in a lot of cases, there's no existing consumer demand. Um, when I think about uh, when we started with the Myanmar project and I would talk to roasters and friends and family about these exciting coffees in Myanmar, they didn't know where I was talking about, much less that it produced coffee. And so there's a lot of work to be done in that context when you want to build demand for the coffee. And a lot of times, you know, there, there's a huge risk for a roaster in that context uh, if they're thinking about trying to create consumer demand for that. There's a lot of legwork that they have to do to create the pull at the consumer level for those coffees. And I don't think these risk factors are going to um, eliminate themselves. I think the market needs to partner with these origins um, and make an investment in their future. To me, an investment in origin is an investment in our business going forward, 5, 10, 20 years. Um, so having talked about this at kind of the 10,000-foot level quickly, I do want to turn it over to the panel to talk about the roaster perspective on this, the development perspective on this, and very importantly, we have representatives from a couple of emerging origins to talk about what they are going through and what they're trying to achieve as they enter, or as the case may be, re-enter the specialty market. So 
with that, I will step out of the way. And in terms of who is going first, I think I'd like to start with the origin side. So if April and Susuong from Myanmar can start. Hi, I'm April from Myanmar. So I'm with the NGO well, uh, implementing USAID-funded value chain projects in Myanmar, including coffee. So today I'll be sharing my perspective on uh, development perspective, as well as uh, individuals involving as a cross-cutting roles. So uh, firstly, I would like to give you some background why we choose uh, coffee in the first place as one of the value chain. So when I reflect back, actually the story started with Rick Pizer. Uh, those of you might hear about him. So he, he was at the time uh, part of Green Mountain, Rick. So he came out as the very first volunteer in 2013 to Farmer to Farmer Volunteer Program, which is part of Feed the Future initiative by USAID. And he wrote an influential article, trade article expressing the potential of Burmese coffee, which then got attention from our previous chief of party of the projects when he was given a task to pre prepare a proposal for our current VCRD program who he may also have a vast experience in coffee developing um, in area like Africa, successfully create a trade association like Africa. But of course, that's not the only one, the only reasons. Uh, but as from the development uh, point of view, we have to see how the project could benefit the livelihood of the smallholders as many as possible through productivity and profitability. So as well as Steve being the expert in coffee, he sees there's a potential of specialty markets, which could give high premiums for the smallholder to improve their livelihoods. So after that, in late 2014, we started the project to change the conventional way of supply chain of what's being done in Myanmar to become a value chain that gives producers a chance to add value and enjoy the premium. So we implemented this in collaboration with CQI as our international partner, as well as private sector in country and also abroad, as well as uh, various uh, trade uh, in country association like Myanmar Coffee Association with market system approach. So starting from technical assistance to improving the post-harvest processing technology and also linking with the world markets, we first hosted a origin tour where we had the honor of uh, Craig's being on board, and that made a history for Myanmar coffee as a special, new specialty origin. So I think this kind of project is essential for emerging origin, as it's being new to the emerging origins, being to the new to the industry, or being like in Myanmar case, being disconnected from the world for some reasons, for so many years. So the producer, their eyes were closed outdated on technical know-how, and they have no idea of quality or market. So actually, in fact, uh, just by improving symbol, like picking the ripe cherries, that's make a huge difference, which they have no idea before. So also, I think for the buyer side, um, even though there might be those who are adventurous or daring to you know, try it, but having NGO on the ground to help them facilitate, facilitate and monitor, so it's actually, yeah, kind of like give them less risky and lower the barrier for them to jump in and then explore the hidden jewels. So that's how I want to share. Great. And Susuang? Nice to meet you all. Yes. And Myanmar have uh, 2000, uh, 1885 have um, 
um, have uh, started growing uh, coffee, co coffee, and Myanmar have Myanmar can grow of Arabica and Arabica eighty percent and uh, robusta. And I introduce and uh, I can uh, I and I am a third generation of uh, coffee business family. Um, but I don't know how to produce of uh, high quality coffee, and I don't know and market. But and at the last five year, and but 2015 have a USA project and Wimrock International Health and Shanghai of Yangon region, and. I stopped learning and how to high quality of uh, coffee, how to produce of the specialty coffee. To start learning, my teacher is uh, Mario. Uh -huh. <coughs> yes. <laughs> and we start learning in 2015 and coffee produce. And they have uh, many coffee produce, uh, high quality, special quality, and how to taste of the coffee coffee and capping and we make uh, we can make a, a market language so uh, Myanmar coffee is a very new origin so and now we knowing we can produce a coffee a specialty coffee uh, we can produce a coffee but we have not many buyer we have not many market market so so uh, uh, we very hard work of uh, and quality and uh, we uh, we contact uh, um, uh, how to how to uh, search of the market and we very hard work uh, why uh we have a uh, we have a so yang now worry and and this year is a uh, nyc price is a uh, very low so a buyer is a uh, thinking and this quality and price they are thinking so and oh and producer side is a uh, we produce of the Specialty coffee is a uh, cost of production is a uh, high, so buyer uh, thinking and producer thinking is a uh, very not matching. So, uh, but uh, we have the opportunity, and because coffee consumers are more and more, more and more, but uh, year by year, uh, we need uh, we we need. Uh, more coffee buyer, uh, we need um, more long-term relationship. We need we need adventure coffee buyer. For example, Craig Yes, uh, Craig is uh, the first the first year of we produce our quality and he buy and he buy coffee and. And the child will be there. 
promote a Myanmar coffee. So very thank you. So so uh, if we have not um, more buyer and producer, producer cannot uh, specialty coffee. And coffee farmers are low uh, income. So a producer side, the important point is coffee buyers and long-term relationship. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I have to point out that uh, four years ago when Su Suong and I met, um, she didn't speak really any English, and in that time, she's now able to give presentations to you in English, and I have like two words in Burmese, so <laughs> it's kind of humbling. Um, all right, and um, we'll hand it over to Marceline Budza now from the DR Congo, another person doing amazing work. And Mario has been kind enough to offer to translate from the French. Marceline also speaks English very well, but uh, would like to do this in French now. So. Euh, merci beaucoup pour la parole. Euh, je m'appelle Marceline Boudza, je viens du Congo. Um, th thank you for uh, having me here. My name is Marceline and I come from Congo DRC. Euh, je représente une coopérative de femmes congolaises où nous produisons les cafés des spécialités. I represent a, a women cooperative uh, and we, we produce specialty coffee. Euh, mon expérience euh, dans le café est que euh, au Congo le café c'est une culture euh, pérenne. Uh, my experience in coffee uh, starts by realizing that uh, in Congo coffee is a perennial culture. C'est une culture qui permet à des familles euh, à vivre euh, à nouer les deux bouts du mois. And uh, it's it's a culture that allows families to earn a livelihood. Mais euh, nous avons beaucoup de défis là-dessus euh, euh, le fait que il y a pas assez de d'acheteurs qui s'intéressent du café congolais. However, we have several challenges. Uh, one of them is that there are not enough buyers that are interested in um, Congolese specialty coffee. Oui, euh, je remercie Greg euh, de, de, de se tourner parce qu'il s'est tourné vers le Congo. Maintenant, là, il sait les potentialités qu'il y a au Congo. That's why I really thank Greg. Uh, he has looked at Congo and he has realized the potential that there is in, in Congo for specialty coffee. Oui, euh, je dirais encore. Euh, les grands défis auxquels nous faisons face encore, c'est la, la, la manque de qualité. Hein. Nous ne sommes pas vraiment euh, expérimentés dans la qualité du café. Another big challenge that we have is that um, we still don't achieve a, a, a really high high quality. We don't have experience um, achieving high quality. Mais aussi, euh, l'autre grand défi, c'est l'inégalité de l'homme et de la femme dans les secteurs du café. Je dirais, chez nous, au Congo, on dit souvent que la culture du café, ce n'est pas une culture de, de, de femmes, mais c'est une culture de hommes. Uh, another big challenge, of course, is the big inequality between men and women in the Congolese coffee sector. Uh, in Congo, we usually say that 
Coffee is not a women's task, it's a men's task. Alors que c'est la femme qui fait toute la chaîne de valeur du café, du, elle fait le champ, elle fait le traitement, mais quand c'est au niveau de la commercialisation, c'est l'homme qui prend la part. And yet, it's women who um, carry out all the production and all the processing activities, and men are uh, merely in, in charge of uh, trading. The, the household coffee. Et alors, euh, cette situation fait assez que euh, la femme ne voit pas son importance dans la chaîne de valeur du café. Elle, elle se voit mieux qu'elle peut dessoucher ce café-là pour planter une culture qui peut lui rapporter quelque chose. And uh, this is why um, women are not empowered in the Congolese coffee value chain. It, it, um, they often think that it's, it would be ah, tu peux répéter la dernière partie. Oui. <rire> Donc, euh, cela fait assez que euh, les femmes ne trouvent pas euh, leur part dans la commercialisation du café. Alors, ils préfèrent les dessoucher pour planter euh, les cultures euh, vivrières dans lesquelles ils peuvent euh, trouver. So, since, since coffee don't take our, don't have a role in, in coffee trading they they would rather um, forget about coffee and and do other crops in which they are more involved in in marketing c'est pourquoi notre approche c'est de favoriser l'égalité de l'homme et de la femme dans les secteurs café afin que euh, qu'il y ait l'équilibre l'implication de tous les acteurs dans la chaîne de valeur that's why we are deeply involved in finding equity be, be, between um, women and, and men so that there can be a balance uh, along the value chain. Oui, et autre chose auquel nous faisons face c'est la déforestation, la déforestation de la déforestation de de café qui cause des perturbations climatiques. Another big challenge that we have in Congo is deforestation. Um, uh, which produces climate change locally. Il y a aussi l'augmentation de la densité de la population. And also the, the population growth. Qui coupe les caféiers, mais aussi pour s'installer. So the, the, the coffee farms are, are being brought down to, to build c'est pourquoi euh, nous appellerons que tout le monde, qu'il y ait une collaboration étroite entre euh, le producteur, le consommateur et les torréfacteurs. En vue de connaître les défis que font face les producteurs, connaître aussi quelles solutions on peut travailler ensemble pour avoir, mais aussi pour arriver à un bon résultat. We we would like for everybody to know the challenges faced by by producers right now, but also to work together in in solutions to to arrive together to a good result for the region. En bref, le Congo, c'est un grand pays beau. Il y a beaucoup de potentialité en café. Nous, nous vous invitons à venir explorer le café congolais. Je pense que 
Vous allez trouver euh, du merveille. Um, Congo is a very very large beautiful country and uh, with a huge coffee potential we invite you all to to come to Congo and and explore and we believe that you are going to be surprised by its uh, wonders. Merci. Thank you. Thank you, Marceline. Um, I can attest to the beauty of the DR Congo. If you ever get a chance to go, definitely take the chance. It's a fantastic, amazing place. Complicated place, but amazing. Um, Mario, let's have you. Go ahead. Thank you. I hope I don't speak in French to you. Um, well, I'm, I'm here on, on behalf of CQI. CQI, you may know CQI as, as um, certification body for, for uh, coffee professional skills, but as a matter of fact, uh, one of the main things that we do is uh, um, international development at, at Coffee Origins, and um, one of our preferred uh, challenges is working with emerging origins. As, as Susuan kindly mentioned, we, we were there in Myanmar, um, and um, I would like to speak a little bit about what methodology we use in general when we face a new origin that that has potential and uh, needs to be developed. Um, so in general, we do three main things, and we do them all together pretty much at the same time. The, the one, one of them is knowing the origin in most cases, these emerging origins are completely unknown uh, in terms of their potential and their vocation as, as an origin. Um, the second thing is empowering the national coffee sectors since uh, these origins usually lack uh, cohesive association or, or exporting infrastructure or uh, commercial practices. And... Um, and the third thing that we do all together with the other two is uh, linking the country to to the market from the start. We really don't wait until there is a strong coffee sector and a beautiful co coffee coming out of there because we we want to bring uh, the buyers as as true partners from the start, and we want them to bet or and uh, or to invest in, in this development work. So as, in order to know the origin, of course we do your regular FODA study, but um, we also try to profile each region to, to get uh, to know the, the profile of each region in terms of flavor and, and uh, geography. And what is the quality gap of the country altogether and of each region? And by quality gap, I mean what is the distance between the potential quality that coffee can achieve in that country and the actual quality that they are producing? In some cases, the, the potential quality may be very high, and, but people are following bad practices. So that's actually good news because um, it's only a matter of education. But in other cases the potential quality for, for coffee because of the, the geographical conditions, it's not so high, and then we must reinforce other aspects. And um, we also identify uh, local partners 
like uh, Su Suang, for example, with, with whom we can work and spearhead the effort. As to empowering the national coffee sector, uh, of course, we bring our education products to, to the country. Our um, Q grader courses, Q processing courses are turning out to be uh, really key to improve uh, quality in emerging countries. And um, we work with local associations. We, we help them do strategic planning and... Um, and bring everybody to the table because we, we want the whole uh, sector in the country to evolve organically. And um, finally, we bring people like Craig, which is probably, I, I always say that the best asset of CQI is a great network of friends that share our vision and that are willing to join in our in our efforts and and so we bring people like Craig who invest and and bring their faith and knowledge to the country and are able to to start linking these efforts to the market and um, well just look at what happened with Myanmar um, we are we are currently working um, with two other emerging origins I have no idea if if they will finally emerge or not, but uh, um, we, I was recently working in Timor-Leste. Um, Timor-Leste is one of those countries with huge potential, and uh, which is little known outside, outside of its small region, and it also has a bad reputation because Timor rhymes with Katimor, right? And um, people don't like that, and they don't realize that there's very little relationship, actually, in terms of flavor. And um, also Nepal. Nepal is one, uh, other, one other country where, um, in this case, I think it was Craig who brought CQI, and not the other way around. Um, uh, Nepal is this other emerging country which, um, which could, could become uh, an, another interesting origin, yet they have very little production yet, and um, they... And one of the problems, if I may say that, is that they have a very high uh, farm gate price, which, of course, is the best way to um, forget about quality efforts. Um, another question, uh, another point about Myanmar, uh, sorry, Nepal, is that Nepal is... is has some interesting challenges in terms of scalability. Uh, it's the only country I've worked in in coffee where when I said, how many hectares of coffee do you produce? And, they, and growers would say things like, I have 15 trees. So when you're talking on a tree-by-tree -tree basis, uh, it, it's tough to generate sort of a critical mass of a very high-quality coffee. So we're, we're talking nano-lots. <clears throat> Uh, over there. So uh, let's wrap up the presentation part with Al Liu from Colectivo. All right, thank you. Um, I think as uh, a representative of the buying community from uh, roasters, um, we're a roaster wholesaler and retailer. This is all really exciting because it's like Christmas. Like, you know, there's just all these new emerging origins wrapped up nicely with interesting, exciting stories and beautiful pictures. 
and we as buyers just get to discover one after the other. Um, the one point that I think is really worth making is that these emerging origins aren't new to coffee in the sense that it's not like coffee has just been planted over the past couple of years and all of a sudden there's you know coffee to offer the market. Um, the coffee has been in these origins for many years, as you've heard. Uh, it's just the quality wasn't there. And it's uh, through the work of many, many people um, with a lot of guidance and and encouragement and technical um, assistance that the quality of these coffees is really uh, gotten to the point where it is viable in the specialty market. And not just viable, it's really interesting, um, unique profiles, uh, things that you just haven't t perhaps tasted before. So I think from the perspective of, of a roaster buyer, um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to show the diversity of the coffee producing world. I think there are a lot of uh, coffee consumers, even um, sophisticated ones, and also a lot of people who work in the specialty industry who aren't aware of the extent to which coffee is produced in this world. And so I think emerging origins, um, investing in them and actually buying the coffee, roasting it, selling it, gives everyone in the industry um, opportunity to see how diverse this world really is and to taste something new, and to taste something from a place um, you may not even have heard of. Um, so I think um, from, from where I sit, it's, it's been really fun discovering these new origins and putting them out there. I think there's also a lot of potential to change consumers' um, kind of impressions or opinions of some of these places. I think, at least here in the U.S., we get a lot of negative news uh, whenever there's something bad happening, whether it's strife or disease. Um, we hear about it and it comes from these places and, and it's very easy for people to form these very negative opinions of these different places. And so when something like specialty coffee comes out from, from these origins um, and it can actually be used as a vehicle to change the, the impression or the opinion of, of these origins, um, here is something really tasty. Um, oh, it, it comes from that place where there's a lot of war. It's like, well, yes, there is conflict, but there are also um, many positive things happening, including uh, specialty coffee production. And if you have an hour, I'll sit here and talk to you about it. But I think just giving someone a cup of coffee, a cup of really good coffee from these places um, can, can make them think, oh, wow, I had no idea. Or, wow, they're actually doing really positive things there. It's not just all bad. Um, so I think it, it kind of behooves us as buyers to really try to push the, the envelope and get consumers to think about not just what they're tasting, but where these coffees are coming from and to think about the world that we live in and how, you know, what we hear, um, especially through the media and see and read, um, doesn't fully always represent what's going on. And um, there's just a lot of a lot of really good work, uh, a lot of people involved in in improving coffee quality and help obviously helping the livelihoods of these farmers, um, of these producers and all these emerging origins who otherwise wouldn't have a chance to sell their product uh, to the export market and especially to the, um, to the specialty market. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of this, this um, opportunity that we all have to, to showcase these coffees, to showcase all the work that's being done, that has been done and um, to, share this, um, these amazing stories that are happening. And I, 
and it's been exciting for me to do that. And, you know, there are challenges as well, um, which I think we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, I think, again, just from, from the buyer perspective, it's, it's been nothing but exciting and fun. And um, it's like this, this adventure that we keep, uh, we're on and that just keeps going and going where all these new origins are popping up and um, having the opportunity to even go to some of them is, has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Al. And I, I want to uh, strongly support Al's perspective on, you know, the idea of, of creating a different narrative for not these countries, but these communities in which we work. I've had a lot of people say, well, this, this government over here where you're buying country f- uh, coffee from is doing terrible things. And my feedback is always, the people that I'm working with are not perpetrating any crimes against anybody else. Why would I punish them for something being done by a government? And the other thing that I often point out is, find me an innocent government uh, where we can work. Find me a fully innocent country. Um, It's difficult to do. So we try to focus on people and communities, and we have been uh, richly rewarded for that uh, all over the world, for investing in these human relationships that bring us these great coffees that allow us to tell a different, a better, a more hopeful story. So again, I want to thank the panel um, for their insights and, and all the great work that all of them are doing in Origin to support Origin and to bring great coffee to the market. Um, with that said, does anybody have... I, I have questions for the panel, but yeah, if you have questions. Uh, so I'm curious to know from the roaster perspective, um, what's being done to... or what do you see being done to help um, curtail emerging, or, emerging origins becoming just another flavor of the month for roasters and actually trying to incorporate them in more kind of long-stay... Are you seeing anything? Is there any education being done on the consumer side or roaster side? Well, I can obviously only speak from from my perspective, um, from our company. And uh, we have a couple different product lines, and there are two especially that fit nicely with Emerging Origins because the volume is a little bit smaller. Um, And so we have a seasonal special program. The volume is about um, 45 to 55 bags we run it for up to three months. Uh, and then we have a featured farm program, which is kind of our top of the line reserve program. And that's only about 24, 25 bags. Those coffees are just one week only in our cafes. They're not available to wholesale. So just kind of by the nature of um, how those programs are structured, these coffees are presented as being very unique, as being higher quality than um even sort of our, our mainstay uh, year-round or single origins. And I think just the way that's, that's sort of built, it, it already gives it some cachet that these are really unique and different, and it allows us to kind of test the waters to see how this is going to go. Um, we, you know, we've had some mixed experiences. Uh, we did DR Congo uh, twice. The first time it was a little, uh, you know, not, not super successful. And, and of course you have to know your market and where we're based. Um, this is before we got into the Chicago market. Um, there isn't a, a lot of great geographic literacy in the upper Midwest, shall we say. And so a lot of 
consumers just don't know what, where these places are, and they're, they just, like I said, have these very negative impressions of some of these origins. Um, so it kind of was a, a bit of a buzzkill for me. It, it, it really burst my bubble because I was like, oh, this coffee's so good. And, and then I looked at the sales numbers, and I was like, ugh, no one bought it. But, you know, I've also been surprised. We put out a coffee from Malawi, and it flew off the shelves. And I was really nervous, and I, and I actually bought less of it than I normally would have. And then I had to scramble and buy more. And I was a- asking some of our cafe employees, like, why did this sell really well? They're like, oh, everyone loves the name Malawi. And I'm like, <laughs> is it that easy or that hard? Like, it, it, just you never know what's going to catch um, or what's going to stick. So I think you just kind of have to keep testing. Uh, we've done Burundi a couple times. Um, the first time it was washed, that was so-so. We did a Burundi Natural earlier this year, just a couple months ago. Huge success. And we've discovered that natural processed coffees are actually very popular in our market. And our, our own employees in the cafes get really excited about them. So when they're excited about something in the cup, if it's from Colombia or Burundi or Myanmar or wherever, then they're going to promote it. So I think that's one lesson I've personally learned is that, you know, I have my own agenda of like putting these emerging origins out there for the sake of, of doing it and, and helping these uh, projects. But, you know, really you got to give uh, people what they want and what they're going to talk about. And natural coffees, at least for us, tend to, tend to be that. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And just quickly to build on that from the importer side, one of the things that I'm always uh, talking to my friends at Origin about is the fact that to avoid, people will buy because of exoticism once, they'll buy sometimes out of guilt once, but in the end, this is a product we put in our mouths. And so if we want to ensure that we have an ongoing market for the coffees, we really have to come to the market with something great. You know, there's a question sometimes, is, are people tired of stories in coffee, the story of the grower? What they're tired of is empty language not backed up by a product that's worth drinking. But if we give them a great coffee, then they say, wow, this is great. Where's this from? And then you get to talk about Myanmar. You get to talk about Shan State. You get to talk about Wang'an and the people who work there. So that's an important thing. And I think for Atlas, we feel like there's a burden on us to offer a a feeling for the place. Information, of course, but also a feeling for the place and to support our roasters and to connect our roasters to the origin as as much as possible so they, like Al was saying, have some passion for the project and what's going on. If you care about it, you sell it like crazy, right? Um, So thank you. Um, There was a question there. My name is Kambale from uh, DR Congo, which produces both uh, Arabica and Robusta. And my question is for Mario of uh, Coffee Quality Institute. I remember three, uh, four years ago, uh, CQI developed protocols for cupping fine robusta. And uh, I was wondering, what has, you, has been your, uh, your experience with Uganda, and how can that be uh, applied to uh, DRC as, uh, as an emerging uh, origin? Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's a... That's a very good question, Kambale. Um, yeah, so uh, at CQI we have the Q-Robusta program. Uh, it, in, it involves a standard for certifying high-quality Robusta, which we call fine Robusta, and it also involves the certification of uh, Q-Robusta graders, similarly to Q-Arabica graders. Um, as a matter of, of fact, I think there that 
Spine Robusta has a great future. And um, as CQI, we are committed to working harder and, and bringing the QRobusta program to more locations, and that might include uh, Congo DRC. I think, I think um, of course, Western Africa, including, including Congo here in Western Africa, has great, great potential um, for, for Robusta. Uh, it's also the region where I believe that they need more work in practices, uh, in good, good practices leading, leading to uh, higher quality. Uh, but this is where it ties to how uh, we exploit the, the potential and realize that potential in, in a region that, that is currently following um, not so good practices. I hope I answered. <laughs> Another question. Thank you. This has been really interesting. Um, my name is Leah from Equal Exchange, and one of the things that we're interested in is supporting smallholder farmers who are organized um, democratically to build equity and, and get support through their business. I'm just curious, across the different um, emerging origins that you're all speaking to, um, to what extent there are structures where um, cooperatives or associations of farmers um, exist as a part of the development of the market. So I can share you my experience with Myanmar. So currently, uh, this current project is the five-year project, and we are in the last year. So we look a lot, since last year, yeah, we look focused a lot on the sustainability. So uh, we do this value chain approach. So since from the start, we did the capacity buildings of the local association, like Myanmar Coffee Association, with the support of CQI volunteers and consultants. Uh, in terms of their vision, mission, and the, the, for the so that they could continue to take the leading roles to build the country's uh, coffee industry. So as well as on the ground at the field, at the village level, like smallholders level, the producer level, we also uh, did some programs of empire, like empowering the farmer organization. So currently in Myanmar, how the current model work is that mostly for the, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of the smallholders, is the smallholder, they organize at the village levels. They create a walking group, and then they process this sand, especially high uh, sun-dry naturals, uh, as a micro lot. And again, well, after two harvest seasons, they see that they start to have more interest from the farmers, and they also start worrying about the sustainability. I mean, like, what if after the project's finished? So they have, with their own enthusiasm, they started this idea of, like, getting together. So uh, in, currently in Myanmar, Yuangan area, there's 18 communities, 18 villages. So they send a representative from each village and they form second level farmer organization. So which is a great, uh, it's happened like in the midterms of the projects and which is a great thing that happened. And of course, there's also, we also finding, uh, continuous finding the international partner who would like to continue support that. So currently there's a, uh, add-on program with Progresso, which is funded by Rabo Foundation to strengthen the farmer organization and also keep train, training them on the financial literacy, capacity building, all sort of uh, tra training for them. So that, and, and here we have a representative from that farmer organization, so so she, I'm currently coaching her also in terms of like dealing with the international buyer, communication, and promoting Myanmar coffee. So I hope that answer. Sure. Yeah, so you had a question, thank you for waiting. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Claude Bambi, 
Uh, I'm from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I'm an importer of uh, Congo coffee. I uh, just got in the industry not long time ago because of what I saw, um, what Marce uh, Marceline had expressed uh, earlier in the selling or the trade of the Congo industry. I'm trained as an accountant here in the U.S., but I was seeing that the co uh, Congo coffee is not so known in the uh, international market. So my question will be first to uh, Marceline um, herself. Uh, I don't know if I will ask the question in French or in English. Uh, <laughs> give, it, uh, give it to us in both so everybody can understand what the yes. question is and she can answer. Uh, in French, it will be, Marceline, uh, je sais que tu as expliqué le problème, par exemple, de la production de produits du café au niveau du Congo, le, le, quoi, le défi que vous avez à relever, mais aussi dans la commercialisation, vous avez aussi des problèmes. Tu as parlé que le café congolais n'est vraiment pas vendu et que certains au niveau de l'extérieur ne sont pas, inter pas intéressés, mais ne sont pas encore assez impliqués dans l'achat de ces cafés. Alors, qu'est-ce que tu trouves Quelle devra être euh, la solution que tu trouves adéquate pour que cela puisse se faire rapidement, pour que le café congolais soit uh, accepté sur le marché uh, international. In English, I would summarize it like this. Uh, she talked about the challenges, both on, uh, at the production level and at the trade level of the Congolese coffee, and myself, I know it. So my question to her is, what is she expecting from the international community, roasters and buyers, uh, from them so that the, uh, the Congolese coffee be accepted? What is she expecting from them? What could be done in partnership so that the coffee would be uh, loved in uh, uh, the international community, both at the production level and the trade level? Mm -hmm. And my second question will be to Alan and Mario. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, is it a quick one? Yes, a very quick one. Uh, the Congolese coffee, as I asked to her, is a challenge in the international community, both at the uh, trade level. What are you, at your end, expecting from that product so that it can be uh, loved and uh, uh, exposed uh, and bought at the international level? We have two minutes. Go. Je vais essayer un peu d'être vite, vite. Pour la première question, pour que, il a demandé quelle est la solution pour que le café congolais soit connu au niveau international ainsi qu'au niveau national. Moi, je penserais que euh, il faudrait faire la promotion du café congolais. Par exemple, comme Greg le fait. Euh, C'est pas... Yeah. So, to answer his first question about how how to how to make a Congo, uh, raise awareness about Congo um, first of all to really promote the name of Congo how Craig does c'est pas c'est que je 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 suis en train de 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 donner des éloges à Greg mais le mieux est que Greg fait la promotion de café congolais sur le marché aux États-Unis It's, it's not that I'm um, 
making publicity for Craig, but he re he really knows how to promote the name of Congo in the U.S. J'aimerais assez que tous les acteurs, tous les importateurs, les torréfacteurs s'impliquent grandement pour la promotion du café congolais, comme le fait aussi avec Tetratec. Yeah, uh, frank, frankly, we would need for all uh, roasters and, and uh, retailers to take a bit more interest in, in Congolese coffee as, as we have spoken here. Et pour le producteur, c'est euh, nous, le producteur, on doit beaucoup travailler sur euh, l'amélioration de la qualité du café parce que nous savons que euh, une bonne qualité rémunère bien et puis une bonne qualité appelle aussi euh, les clients, les acheteurs de niveau international. And of course, we know that us, as producers, our homework is to improve coffee quality and, and we really to, to work hard to improve coffee quality because know that we know that quality is the best way to uh, improve Congo's name uh, internationally. Great. That's all the time we have for questions. Just quickly before you go, I do want to make a point that, you know, when I talk about all the importance of investing in emerging origins and new coffees and these, these amazing communities that are doing incredible work, I want you to remember that there's self-interest at stake for us, too. We build our brands on their hard work. Uh, the points of differentiation that we're able to achieve through their coffees are important to us. Much as I love Brazil and Vietnam, I do not in 21 years want to only be drinking coffee from those two countries. So with that in mind, I, I really think it's important, just a final thought, that we need to change the paradigm as specialty buyers. We need to stop asking how cheaply we can get the coffee we need and start asking what is the right price to reward you for doing the hard work required to give me the coffee that I need. So with that, I, I want to quickly say we do have some handouts up here, just small things, and I really appreciate y'all coming out today. Thank you. That was Craig Holt, Marceline Budza, Susu Ong, April Suyin Newt, Al Lu, and Mario Fernandez at the Specialty Coffee Expo in April 2019. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and a link to coffeeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcast Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP's Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.